Well, good morning, everyone. I have such gratitude towards our worship team, to Pastor Zach, to our church. This is Becky and I's home. It's good to be home. To our pastor, I want to say this morning briefly that uh, one of the greatest privileges of my life is to be able to come alongside our pastor and uh, partner in the gospel. Thank you, Bobby. Our elders, our staff, to partner with them. I want to express on behalf of Becky and I and our entire family, thank you for your diligent prayers as our family is uh, going through one of those storms of life that we all experience. But aren't we grateful that the grace of Christ is sufficient? And so today we're finishing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. And you may have a sermon that comes to mind when you think about a famous sermon, one that's had a profound effect on your life, brought inspiration, correction, direction. I personally, when I thought about this, the first one that popped in my mind was when, and he's with the Lord now, but R.C. Sproul had preached on the curse motif of the atonement. And if you listen to that title, you think, this is a good time for a nap. <laughs> but as he began to preach and teach from the Word about what Christ had done for us, Becky and I began to weep. And students of American church history would be drawn to one sermon for sure. It was delivered in the summer of 1751. In Northampton, Massachusetts. Later it was in Connecticut and perhaps even beyond that. And it was a message that became the flame that lit the Great Awakening. The first spiritual awakening in the American colonies. 1751, this message was preached by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. And the message was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was a powerful, vivid message about our need for a Savior. And at the end, it pointed to faith in Christ. And God just used that sermon in an extraordinary way. There was another pastor in attendance that day, a man by the name of Stephen Williams, and his diary entry in, in, in reaction to that sermon was this. He said, before the sermon was done, there was a great moaning and crying out throughout the whole house. What shall I do to be saved? And the minister was obliged to desist because the shrieks and cries were so piercing and amazing that morning. And Edward's words have endured and are still read to this day. But as famous as that sermon is, as sinners in the hand of anger, an angry God, and any other sermon that you might consider, they pale in comparison to what I believe without controversy is the most famous sermon in human history. The Sermon on the Mount. And so as we wrap up our look at that most famous sermon, I'm reminded that it's a discipleship manual in brief. It's not the whole manual. The whole discipleship manual is the entire Bible, the entire Word of God. 
And so one must read the entire Bible to be fully formed as a disciple. But if you want a distillation, if you want a synopsis, if you want a summary of what it means to follow Jesus, then you read the Sermon on the Mount. And so in the time I have with you today, I'd like to divide this sermon into three parts. These three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I want to review the first introductory section, what we call the Beatitudes. I want to summarize the middle and summarize the end. And I promise I'll get done as quickly as I can. (laughs) And then after I summarize it, I want to leave you and I with a challenge today. I'm not going to give you the Scriptures on the screen because I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, if you would, even now, to Matthew chapter 5. I want you to read along with me the timeless, God-breathed Word of God and the power that's associated with it. Let's begin Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Matthew says, Seeing the crowds, He, this is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, the disciples came to Him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So right off the bat with these introductory words, I want you to notice something important, very important. It's in your first note, in your notes, if you're a note taker. There's a difference between part being part of the crowd and being a disciple of Jesus. There's a difference. Do you see that? In that first verse, it says, Jesus saw the crowds. There were great multitudes that were following him. He's in the north. He's in Galilee. The backwaters of Israel. And there are thousands of people following him. Why? Well, first of all, there were seasons where he healed everybody that was brought to him. And I don't know about you and I, but if we needed healing, do you think we'd go where we knew God would heal? He would feed thousands. So there were these great crowds, multitudes. But from the crowds, if you notice in that first verse, there was a smaller group, and that smaller group was his disciples. And so when he sat down, and by the way, when he sat down, he's signifying, he's telling everyone, I'm the teacher. I'm the master. I'm the rabbi. And when he sat down, those disciples came to him. Now, what does the word disciple mean? Here's what the word literally means. It just means learner. It means learner. The key idea in the word disciple is to be a learner. One who's instructed. One who's taught. One who follows the commandments and teachings of the one they confess as Lord. Can I just say to you this morning, beloved church, it's not enough to be part of the crowd. It's not enough to be a fan of Jesus. I'm not condemning anyone in here if that's their position this morning. That's okay. But that's not enough. There's a difference between being part of the crowd and a disciple. It involves commitment. Commitment to be a follower of Jesus. A learner. 
And, and can I just say to you, and I know I speak for our pastor, I speak for me, for Trey, for our other staff, elders. Our goal is not to just have an audience on Sunday. We're grateful you're here. Our goal is to turn this audience into an army. An army of Christian soldiers, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That was Christ's purpose in sitting down and preaching this sermon. It was His mission. It's our mission as well. And it remains His mission to this day. Do you know what Huddle Bible Church's mission is? Let me show you on the screen. We desire to lead people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to live for Him, and to tell others about Him. And I just have to ask, have you taken that step yet? From being part of the crowd to a commitment to Christ? Are you a disciple who's learning and developing and following? Just as that was Jesus' desire when He sat down that day on that hilltop in Galilee. And when He preached that famous sermon, just as it was His desire that day for those folks, it's His desire today for you. So let's begin. Follow along with me, please, in your Bible. Here's how He began His most famous sermon. It's verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what do we learn from these introductory words of Jesus? Well, Jesus is saying in this poetic captivating way it's the second note in your notes that disciples learn to live in a way that will receive god's blessing we learn to live in a way that receives god's blessing that word blessed appears nine times in this introduction it's the greek word makarios it can be translated blessed or happy or in right relationship with god and so jesus captures the attention of the audience by saying Here's the way to live a blessed life. But the way that he framed it was counterintuitive. It was countercultural. It rubbed against the grain of his audience. Let me show you why. He says, first of all, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I, I imagine immediately when he said those words, blessed are the poor, immediately people would say, well, that can't be right. 
No one wants to be poor. All of us want to be rich. None of us want poverty. And what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Jesus used that turn of phrase to say this. It's the person who sees and knows their spiritual need and is willing to admit that need who will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say, and the second one, blessed are those who mourn. Nobody wants a season of mourning in their lives to experience acute loss. Everybody wants joy. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, there's multitudes of mourning, right? He's saying, those of you who understand the seriousness of your sin, and they mourn and grieve for the times they've disobeyed God, and that repentance has led to joy, it will lead to gladness. And those of you that are mourning personal loss, you're grieving the loss of a loved one, or or whatever the situation, maybe the loss of a marriage, the loss of a job, you're mourning. And what Christ is saying, don't miss this church, He's saying, you are blessed because I, the language really indicates this, I, the Christ, am going to comfort you. And then there's some more counterintuitive things. He says, blessed are the meek. He says, it means blessed are those who are gentle. Those who hold power in reserve for the benefit of others. Blessed are the humble. And in his day, just like ours, the culture says, oh no, wait a minute. It's the aggressive. It's the assertive. It's the self-promoting. Those are the ones who are going to succeed. But Christ comes along and says, that's the way of the world. I'm calling you as my disciple to live a different way. I'm calling you to live a deeper, a quieter, a gentler, more humble life. The next one is the same way. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Everybody goes, can that be right? Nobody wants to be hungry. Nobody wants to be thirsty. We all want to be well-fed. And I know if you're like me, after this week, I am definitely (laughs) well-fed. We all want to have our thirst slaked. But Jesus says your hunger will be satisfied. Your thirst will be quenched when you hunger and thirst for my righteousness. Produced by my Spirit. Because you'll be in right relationship with me. And then he turns a corner. He says, blessed are the merciful. He's saying, don't be harsh. Don't be vindictive. Don't be vengeful. Show some mercy. Then he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. (laughs) And then he finishes up by saying, And this is the most counterintuitive of all. He says, when the Christ in you, please listen, when the Christ in you results in the opposition 
of the world. And you experience rejection. And you experience insult and persecution. He says, just know when that comes, you will be blessed. Now I want to make sure that I say something here. Did you notice in verse 11, he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Why? Well, he says the things they say are false and they're on his account. They're because of your relationship with him. Don't miss this church. He doesn't say blessed are you when people don't like you because you're a jerk. Did you hear that? But he says, because you follow me and stand for the things that I stand for and the world persecutes you, be happy about it. Because your reward, Christ says, will be great in heaven. And that's how you live a blessed life. I don't know what you all think. But I think the Beatitudes are a pretty good opening for a sermon. What do you think? And in the body of the Sermon on the Mount, after that introduction, I want you to see all the topics that Jesus addresses. I've listed them in your sermon handout. I'm not going to go through every one of them. He does. He begins that body of the sermon by telling them to be salt and light. In Jesus' day, salt was very valuable. It was used as a preservative for meat. And Jesus is saying, Don't lose your taste. Don't let the world contaminate your salt. Don't be contaminated by culture. And then he shifts the metaphor. He says, you're the light of the world. Don't turn down your light. Don't hide your light. Do any of you remember, I'm sure I'm dating myself, this song, This Little Light of Mine? You remember that? I'm going to let it shine. And then Jesus teaches that we should interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and in light of Jesus. In this section of the sermon, Jesus is teaching us to value, don't miss this, all of the Scripture, all of the Bible. There's an old saying, the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. And that's the reason why we read, teach, and preach all of the Bible here. It's not time for, un, for us to unhitch our theology from any portion of the Bible. I thank you for that, amen. I was hoping that would be the spot. <laughs> We're to read it all and to learn from it all. And the other topics I've listed with the Scripture references, I encourage you, and you'll hear it in the challenge today, to look at those. The last part of the body of the sermon, he lands on the golden rule. And look at it with me in your Bibles. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. He says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I was sharing this with four of my youngest grandsons this week as they were beating each other to a pulp. The Sons of Thunder were involved in that. And I said, hey, is this what you want 
others to do to you? (laughs) I pray they get that. Lord, would you please do that? Would you grant that? Here's what Jesus is saying. Look, this is personal. You can put this into practice. It's forward-leaning. It's active. You do to others. You love them like you want to be loved. And this action sums up all the law and the prophets. Some of you may be considering Huddle Bible Church as your home. Some of you may be looking to move, have just moved here. Some of you are in college. You're looking to choose a new church. And as I look at the variety of topics that Jesus covered just in the Sermon on the Mount, and by the way, I'm not sure that there's any life situation that he did not address. Make sure, make sure the church you go to The church you choose teaches all of the Bible. Not just some of the Bible, but all of the Bible, the entire counsel of God. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll just focus on the portions of Scripture that we like, that are positive or encouraging or don't challenge us or that we're familiar with already. Oh, no. The teachings of Jesus cover all of life. And so we should embrace it as well. As Jesus wraps up the end of the sermon in verses 13 through 23 of chapter 7, he's teaching us this. It's the third note you have that disciples learn to be discerning. We learn to be discerning, to see the difference between the narrow way and the broad way, the large gate, to see the difference between false prophets and true prophets, to see the difference between genuine believers and those who simply claim to be. You see, it's true today as it was then. Spiritual naivete and spiritual gullibility are not virtues. We're to be discerning. And then he closes the sermon, his most famous sermon, by these words. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. He said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell And great was the fall of it. Here's your fourth note today, your principle. Disciples don't just merely hear Jesus' words, but by being empowered by the Holy Spirit, we put them into practice. We actually do them. Beloved church, 
The storms of life are coming. It's not if. It's when. Some storms are like these little pop-up Texas thunderstorms that we see. They're brief, sound and fury, but they pass quickly. But some are like a Category 5 hurricane. And the winds, the winds are incredibly destructive. And what Jesus is telling us is that when those storms come, if you do not practice and and obey what He's telling you, if your foundation is not sure, if it's not built on the rock, and the rock is Him, the rock is Jesus, your house will fall. He's not telling us that to condemn us or to bring even anxiety or fear. He's telling us that because He loves us. He wants us to listen to Him and obey. So I come to my text for the day. These are the last two verses of the seventh chapter. And if you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of reading God's Word. These will be on your screen. Let's read them together. Begin in verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want you to notice that it says the crowds were astonished. Now in the beginning, we saw that there was large numbers of folks, multitude, but His disciples, that was a smaller group, they came to Him. Well now... However this sermon was delivered, if it was in one setting over a period of days, I don't know for sure. But now the, cr- the crowds have heard what He said. And they were astonished. That literally means to be struck in the mind or to be beside oneself. They had never heard such comprehensive, insightful words of wisdom. The depth and the insight of Christ. But even more remarkable than their astonishment was the authority that they recognized and saw. And the word that Matthew uses here in the text is so powerful in its effect. The word authority, what he meant was what Matthew means is that Jesus was speaking with the authority of a king. This man from Nazareth, a no-account city with no formal education in the backwaters of Israel is speaking with the authority of a king. And all of those people saw it. And here's my challenge to you today. As I was preparing uh, for this sermon, I was alone, um, and I, I, I sensed a prompting that I needed to hear this sermon myself. So I opened my Bible and I read the sermon out loud. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. In one setting. And by the way, it it doesn't take a long time to do that. About 15 minutes or so. 
And as I read it out loud, I sensed the Lord speaking to me and calling me to the steps of obedience that He gives in this sermon. So here's my ask. Sometime soon, maybe sometime today if possible, I know we're looking at Advent. Uh, by the way, hasn't Janine done an amazing job and her team with, with her, right? Yeah. Yeah, and she's out in the foyer and um, maybe as a as a part of your Advent, here's my challenge. Would you take some time to get alone with the Father? Since, since His wooing, since the wooing of the Holy Spirit today, church, for you to get alone with Him and to get alone with the Word and, and read this out loud. And maybe you have difficulty reading. I understand that. You can go to esv.org and it will read it for you. They change voices even. If you like a voice from England or Ireland, you want a woman's voice, whatever. It's really cool. But read along. Read it out loud. I want to tell you that as I read it out loud, man, I too was astonished. I too, by the grace of God, recognized the power and the authority of this king. So as you read it out loud, just say, Lord Jesus, by Your grace, I want to be Your disciple. I want to move from just being part of the crowd to being a follower. I want to put into practice what You're teaching me. Please give me the grace to do that. Let us pray. Father, our heart's desire today is to be Your disciple. I know, Lord, we're not saved by our efforts, by anything we've done. We're saved by Your grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Your grace is freely given to those who believe. And yet You call us to obedience, to practice the things that You've taught. And I pray that those within the sound of my voice as they read Your teaching, as they say it out loud, that You would bring repentance, encouragement, and revival. Lord, I thank You that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Christ. And it reaches beyond the grave and all the way to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.